Yeah, that's the power of really good marketing. And I think that a lot of lawyers underestimate the necessity of having really good marketing. Learn modern marketing that you can use to grow your business in today's competitive landscape. This is Digital Marketing Masters with Matt and Carrie Rouse. Welcome to Digital Marketing Masters, and I am your host, Matt Rouse. And today, my guest is Allison C. Williams. Allison, how are you doing? I am doing well, Matt. How are you doing? I am doing fabulous. Like I was saying before the show, I got to drive half an hour to get a coffee today. So, you know, as as good as I could be, at least I still got a good coffee. So I want to read your bio so people know who you are. Allison C. Williams is the owner of Williams Law Group, a multi-million dollar law firm specializing in matrimonial and family law with an emphasis on complex child welfare matters which you scaled 856% in four years, which is a respectable number. And she went on to take the skills that she learned in that journey to start a second business, Law Firm Mentor, where she provides business coaching services for solo and small law firm attorneys to help them grow their revenues, crush the chaos and increase profit, all of which are things that I love. So, Allison, I want to ask you first, we're going to talk about the marriage between business coaching and marketing. I want you to let us know what you mean by the marriage between business coaching and marketing. Sure. So, you know, as you referenced, I was able to grow my law firm very quickly. And now I help lawyers to do the same thing. And the first thing that typically comes up when I talk to a lawyer and not necessarily in the context of trying to sell them coaching services, but just I'm a lawyer. I interact with lawyers all the time. They'll say, well, how were you able to grow your business? Weren't you weren't you just going out and hiring the best marketing company? Can you just tell me who the marketing company is that you work with? And the reality is that I worked with various different types of marketing companies and I worked with various different service providers of the same service because you know, sometimes the relationship works out. Sometimes you learn what works for you, what doesn't work for you. And so it was an iterative process of optimizing my marketing. And that was definitely a major component of growing a law firm. But it was a lot more than just marketing, right? So it was marketing so I could drive leads into the business, but it was also learning how to be discerning in terms of what services I would purchase, learning how to sell my services, not just offer them up to a person who wanted to buy them, offer a price, have that sticker shock moment, and then hope that they chose me over someone else. It was getting the right people into the business so that they didn't just do the work. They weren't just doers, but they were also thinkers so that I didn't have to do all of that high level strategic thinking. I could actually you know, divide up my activity among the people in the business and have them start to create in their own ways, in their own spaces, kind of being like little entrepreneurs within my business. And it was also systematizing everything as we go so that as we were growing, you know, we were inherently creating more chaos, but we weren't living in chaos and creating risk in a law firm. That is what typically keeps lawyers from growing in the first place. So when I say there's a marriage between business coaching and marketing, it's very much that you have to integrate all of these pieces of a business and optimize them, your marketing, your sales, your people, and your systems in order to achieve not just growth, but highly profitable, highly sustainable, recurring, repeatable growth that also allows you to have time freedom of being an entrepreneur. Absolutely. And one thing that you mentioned there about kind of systematizing everything to kind of stop the chaos in your business. So, so valuable. We used to call it triage, 
right? Just like you're in like an emergency room. And what happens is the clients or the client work is coming in and you have to look at each piece of client work and you got to say, is this client going to die if I don't help them right now? Are they still going to be a client if I don't do this right now? Or do I need to just let this go? And that kind of triage system is not a good way to do business, right? (laughs) And, you know, once you've prioritized everything and you have systems in place, you know, not only can, you know, build that business, but also it's it's easier to hire employees and get them trained and make new offices and all of those things. Right. So when you're helping a small law firm, right, they come to you. What is kind of maybe the kind of top few common problems that they're having in their business that they tell you about? Yeah. So the problems run the gambit, but I'll tell you probably the top three are first, they, they perceive they are not generating enough leads. Right. So the first thing that they say is, I just need to find out how to get more clients. Right. If I could just get more clients, I'll have more money. Yeah. Everybody tells me that every day. So I feel your pain. Yeah. And there's definitely truth to that. But what I also what I have helped lawyers to see is that there's also almost invariably a sales problem because lawyers will say, oh, if I can get people in the door, I can get them to to hire me. And that's likely true when you're getting personal referrals from your best client sources or your best referral sources. But if you're getting cold traffic, people that don't really know about your business, they're out seeking, they find your website or they find your marketing information, they get excited and they get into the door. You have to learn how to actually engage them in a true sales conversation and not just a data dump of how great you are and how much you know the law in order to get that person to make that decision right then and there. So the marketing and sales problem really go hand in hand. The second major problem that people will raise is people. And almost invariably, when I hear a lawyer who says, I don't want to grow a big law firm, I don't want to have a lot of employees, that usually is an indication that they have a dysfunction in the way that they are interacting with people such that they are not picking up on when people are not the right fit for their business. So they're just looking for that strategy, tactical person. They're not looking for cultural fit and the right attitude. And they're not looking for someone who's going to really contribute to the culture of the business. They're looking for someone to do the work. And there's lots of different people that are capable of doing the work. But if you just want somebody to do the work, the challenge is always going to be that, you know, we don't exist in a, in a microcosm, right? We're, we're all together in this unity that is the business. And so there's no way to excise out the need for a cultural fit in your business if you're hiring somebody to work there, especially full time, but even part time. So getting the right mindset around who to hire, when to hire, how to optimize their performance and how to be the leader and manager that they require in order to be their best selves. That's the next major issue. And then finally... The third issue is really the systems. So a lot of people think writing a system is simply downloading your brain, data dumping and saying, okay, you know, step one, step two, step three, and poof, I have a system. But there's a lot more that goes into this. And we actually, we teach this in a program. It's absolutely free of charge called uh, the Crushing Chaos Masterclass, where people can actually learn the 10 pieces of information that are critical to go in a system and how to teach other people to not just create systems, but to have a systems mindset so that every time you're doing activity, you're creating an institutional history so that the next person that comes in knows not just what to do, but how to do it. And if it's something that they haven't encountered before, they have the blueprint of your values as to how you want things to run in your business so that they can pick it up and create a system very quickly from the systems they've already learned in the business. So that's kind of the the third piece that I hear all the time that people just don't don't have a handle on. So 
if we kind of go back through those a little bit, lead generation, I find is everyone's number one thing when they talk to me. Everybody wants more leads. However, when we dig into their systems, invariably, they do not have a good follow-up system or they are not making the most of the leads they're already generating. Absolutely true. So usually the first step is fixing that problem, right? And, you know, I I heard a statistic, I think it was Digital Marketer that said it. It was um, 4% of service-based clients will buy on the first contact. However, something in the neighborhood, I'm not getting the figure exact, but it was something like 75% of business owners think they can close a contact on the first time that they have, like the first time they have a conversation with them. So you've got this disconnect, right, where they think that they can close all the deals. So they just need more people coming in. But the people who are actually closable is a very tiny fraction, right? Yeah. And I I think there's something that, you know, I've heard some iteration of those stats before. And I think the the piece that you mentioned is really important, the follow-up piece. But there's also the fact that conversation doesn't just happen when you're having that sales conversation, right? Conversation happens through marketing. So a lot of it is having the right client avatar, making sure that you're speaking to the right person, the right entity that is going to ultimately consume your services so that they're already sold on who you are and how you are before they get there. So you're not trying to convince everyone who's not your person to be your person so you can sell them something. And then a step beyond that is getting the people to actually be in conversation with your brand. So a lot of that is making sure that when you're sending them content, you're not just data dumping information. You're again, engaging them in thought process. So what is the, what is the nature of the legal problem that you have? What happens if you don't solve that problem? What is the impact of this problem on your life? Because that's really what people need to get in touch with in order to have a sale, right? So they, they make the decision to solve the problem. If you start having that conversation, somewhere in that 12 to 16 touch points that the average person now requires in marketing in order to make a sale when, you know, when they come into your office, it becomes a lot easier to sell them in that first contact. And then if you don't, the follow-up then becomes a continuation of a conversation you started months, if not years, before they actually came into your office. And it's not, I'm following up on the one conversation we had last week and hoping that you're now ready to buy when you weren't last week. Right. And there's... This system that people sort of kind of scoff at all the time, when you look and you go to your mailbox and you pull out a flyer and the flyer's like power washing your roof or your house or something, and you're like, what a waste of money. I just throw all these in the recycle bin every day, right? And two years later, you're looking at your roof and there's a bunch of bird crap and moss and stuff on it. And you get that flyer and you're like, maybe I should get these guys to power wash my roof. But it's because you're you're warming them up to the time when they need the thing, right? So then little Johnny gets arrested and now you need a lawyer or, you know, your cousin's going to get divorced or something. And now you have to refer someone to them and they're asking, you know, you know, who can help me with this problem? We call it a relationship in marketing, but it might be just, you know, someone that you've heard good information from. So you have some idea of who they are and that they know what they're doing. You have some trust built, you have some authority and then bam, into their sales funnel you go, right? And then you can have the conversation. 
Yeah, that's the power of really good marketing. And I think that a lot of lawyers underestimate the necessity of having really good marketing, right? They think the good marketing is the flashy website, right? And the website is just one small piece of a big microcosm of digital imprint that you want to create, not just digital, but also print media and and different forms of of face-to-face marketing. But you want everything that connects to you to connect to the person that you're talking to so that they're in constant conversation, even if you're not seeing them, touching them, feeling them, those people are out there and they're consuming you so that when they need, you're the resource that is the, the, the no brainer for them. Right. And so part of it is being omnipresent, being everywhere that they might be so that they see you on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, TikTok, your website, they see you in print journals, they see you on billboards. Right. So you're kind of everywhere. But then the next thing is really that your message is resonating with the right people so that when they receive your message, they yes, they discard it if it's not immediately for them. But it's the thing that they remember when it's time for them to make a decision because you spoke to them in a way that connects to to who they are and what they want to have done. There's some super interesting stuff happening in the legal marketing world that, you know, some people who have kind of taken taken kind of a stance that's that's a little out of the ordinary right and and it makes them stand out and i think that lawyers have a real issue kind of the same problem that like private clinic doctors and nurse practitioners have or you know pretty much anyone at this point in the internet is that when they go and they do a search or something to try and find someone they type in you know lawyers in raleigh north carolina everybody looks the same right And they go to the website and they look at it and it's a lawyer website, right? And they go back and then they go to the next one. It's another one that was somebody built with the same lawyer template, you know, and just everybody's site looks the same. Everybody's ad looks the same and everybody looks the same. And God, looking the same is marketing suicide, right? Because you cannot look the same. And I've seen some some crazy stuff on lawyers and and people have scoffed at it. But I look at it and I'm like, these people are... They stand out so much that they're just making a killing, you know, like there's these lawyers in Texas. They're uh, DUI lawyers and uh, that's what their firm specializes in. And they have these videos where they all dress up like mobsters and they give people like this like mobster type advice. Right. You know, and it's crazy. It's off the wall kind of thing. But, you know, it's super attention grabbing. Right. Another one that we did with one of our law firm clients is we made a uh, Facebook post that says, uh, instead of asking for the advice of Facebook lawyers, why don't you ask a real one? Right. (laughs) And everybody makes that that connection with the Facebook lawyers. Right. Because everybody thinks they know the law when it comes to Facebook. But realistically, none of them do. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it's interesting that you mentioned that, like kind of the the what what pops, what gets what's get what gets people excited and, and, and keeps you in the in the mind there. And I think one of the things that really precludes someone from getting to that place of that sexy, exciting, interesting marketing is the fact that lawyers have had it beaten into their heads that we are the we are the conservative box that we put you in and we stay in that box in order to keep our license. And so a lot of what we do in helping lawyers through the coaching process is helping them first realize their intrinsic value so that they are putting their intrinsic value out for people to consume. And then second, getting them over the fear of being kind of targeted, if you will, by either adversaries or competitor attorneys or people that they feel are kind of, you know, they're the, the, their nemesis out there, right? There's a lot of, of paranoia that's kind of baked in the idea of being in an adversarial system that we have to get 
them over. And then finally, the bar association, right? So you do have to know your rules of professional conduct. You do have to know what's allowed from an advertising perspective. But there's a lot more fluidity and ability to do things than I think a lot of lawyers expect. And so they kind of come in with the answer is no mindset and you have to overcome that. And then the ones that go to marketers, you know, I've also starting to see a trend in the in the legal marketing space that some lawyers or, or some marketers are like, hey, we can we can do this great thing over here where we stick you on the stairs in front of the courthouse or we stick you in front of the library books. And it's like everybody does the courthouse and the library books because there are so many lawyers that say, no, I'm not going to put on pink in my advertisement or no, I'm not going to dress up like a mobster. Right. As sexy as you think that is, that's going to get me losing my life. And so now we kind of have have educated the the legal marketing space. We're not really open for that level of creativity. And of course, that's really to our detriment if we don't allow a marketer to to do what they do and, and really help us to create that creative, exciting message. So there's a super example of this in uh, Pacific Northwest, the United States. There's a company, they've been purchased by another big California firm now. I don't know if they're still making these commercials and stuff, but it was an insurance company, which is a super dry industry, right? And everybody has that same thing with, as, as lawyers do, right? You need to be conservative, have your little suit and tie on, and you're behind the desk with your other people at the desk, you know, and people come in and get their car or boat insurance or whatever it is, right? Your life insurance person. And this independent insurance agent had someone working for him who said he thinks we should make commercials to test out similar to like used car crazy commercials, right? For insurance instead of, you know, instead of the whole car lot thing. It was called Vern Funk Insurance. And you can still look up their old commercials on YouTube. Funk is F-O-N-K, I believe. Vern Funk. But anyways... They had these commercials that were just insane, right? So they would have like a guy with a giant fake cowboy hat, you know, with a gun and he's shooting down these price bubbles and, and they have crazy music and they're dancing on top of cars and like the whole thing was just insane, right? And the guy grew his insurance agency from like one office with two people in it to something like 40 locations in a matter of a decade, almost strictly from these commercials and not only that they were put the commercials on youtube and like local tv that's super cheap so they absolutely would stand out and they were really pot with kind of the young insurance market which is the hardest people for insurance people to get right so you got to think about that kind of stuff and insurance agents have the same kind of problems as you know lawyers have as doctors have as you know any of these industries have like finance and stuff where compliance actually gets used as an excuse to not have to do the hard creative work of coming up with something that's going to make you stand out yeah well i liken it to the art of lawyering right so when when clients would would come into my office or prospects and they'd want to know you know so can you help me and i'd say so here's the thing you can ask me that question and I'd be a fool to say no. And I imagine that any lawyer that you speak to is going to say, yes, I can help you. But let me tell you how I can help you. And it's not by telling you what the law is and it's not by telling you what the facts are or how the judge decides these things. It's by me taking bits and pieces of what you want to accomplish and marrying it to bits and pieces of what exists in the law and creating something that doesn't exist. 
so that when a judge hears it, it becomes the inevitable choice. It's not the copy and paste of, yeah, that's what the law says over here in John Doe's case. So I'm going to copy and paste it onto your case. It is here are seven different cases with theories that make sense to me that resound with what it is that I want to help accomplish with this family because we help families in, in matrimonial matters and, and child abuse matters. And that's really where the, the secret loss comes from. So if there is a remedy, I will give it to you quick and easy. And if there's not a remedy, I will give it to you long and hard, but I'm going to give it to you one way or another. Right. And it's really the same thing if you think about building a business, right? When you're in law, you are building a law firm in the precepts of business, but with this special layer that is a law firm, right? All of the requirements of our ethics rules, all of the uh, level of ascendancy that comes with being in an adversarial system, all of the, the ways that we're taught to be lawyers is antithetical to the level of creativity, the level of change, the level of evolution, growth, digital you know, evolution that is really changed on hyperdrive. We're in a profession that says stay the same. And you have to break the mold of staying the same while changing at the same time in a way that doesn't put you at risk of losing your license. So it's really putting all of those things together and finding a way around what is the starry decisis or the, the previous way of doing things. And that's where the secret sauce of coaching comes in, that we really help people to say, yes, you have a law firm. Yes, we have to protect your license. Start there. Start there with the premise that I want to do that, too, because I'm a very decorated lawyer. So I want to keep my credentials. I want to keep my license just like you do. And now let's look at the ways that we can accomplish what you want. Let's think about let's think outside the box and marry those two together and find the way that we can put those pieces of creativity and marketing with all of the things that you have to do to keep your law, your license as a lawyer. And that's where people start to get the ahas, right? They start to say, ah, all right, there is a way that I can grow my business by using strategic, well thought out, well established legal and marketing principles, while at the same time, doing the thing that I do in the way that I do it. And that's the thing that probably is like the, 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 the mind shift that a lot of lawyers need in order to really be successful in growing a business and growing it very quickly, frankly. Right. It's, it's definitely difficult to make that leap, especially people have been doing something the same way for a long time in any industry. But man, the, the payoff for a good creative campaign that makes you stand out is immense. I mean, just like in your bio, you grew your firm 800 and was 856%. Yeah. In four years. That's massive growth, right? I mean, most, most firms look at year over year and they go, we had 8% growth. High fives, right? right. Good for us. <laughs> all around, we're doing great, right? Let alone 100%, but 800%. I mean, that's a serious growth. And talking about scaling your team, that is something that's difficult in every business, right? It's always difficult to look at your bank account and how much you're taking home from your business and say, well, I think I'm going to give up a big chunk of this so I can hire someone, right? And and how do you get that process going? And also, you know, the company culture is is super important too because, you know, nobody cares about your business like you do because it's your business, right? And uh, so so when hiring, how do you how do you identify or how can a, a business owner identify what the culture of their business is so that they can identify that in other people? So what I always tell people about hiring is, you know, when you're first starting out, 
you're really looking for support. But I think what most lawyers do that's problematic is they look for help, right? They look for, I've got too much on my plate. I want to take some of it and give it over to someone else. And I think that is, first of all, the just the wrong approach of looking at hiring, right? You're, you're always looking for expansion in your business. But if you have too much on your plate, you need to be looking for somebody who can not just take it off of your plate, but somebody who can take it and multiply it, right? So typically by the time the first lawyer actually hires someone, they're, they're at a place where, you know, I'm exhausted, there's just not enough time, and they're not getting to everything as it is, right? So you don't need to have twice as much work of you in order to hire another version of you. You need to have 25 to 50%, and then that work is ultimately going to expand into all the things that you aren't already doing. And so when you're hiring somebody, you're looking for somebody who can take some basic precepts of who you are and how you are and be able to add their own special sauce, not copy and paste your special sauce. They're going to add their own special sauce. They're going to be able to think about things in a way that you haven't. They're going to be able to analyze things in a way that you haven't. They're going to be able to do things that you never even conceived of doing. And a lot of that comes from hiring up the food chain. And so that's really the first thing that we have to get lawyers over is saying, okay, I want to spend as little as possible on getting as much help as I conceivably can. So I'm going to go out and hire somebody who's desperate for work. I'm going to pay them crap wages and I'm going to treat them really well and and then expect them to perform magic. And I say, no, no, no. You know, you consider yourself a rock star, right? You have to have a certain level of moxie to be able to practice in a very challenging profession, but then add to it being a business owner. I want you to go out and find somebody who has that same level of moxie. They don't have to be an entrepreneur, but they need to have that same level of moxie for their job. They need to be somebody who can think about things outside the box, who can act without structure, who can create around chaos. And part of this is the idea of trusting someone, which is another one of those things that's really hard for lawyers to do. It's hard for people in general, but it's particularly hard for lawyers because there's so much at stake for us if we don't get that right. But once you add somebody and you add somebody who can start to create, the beautiful thing is that they can create at a higher level and then your business becomes exponential as opposed to I take this work over here, I push it over here and now I'm losing the X dollars that I paid this person. Instead, you should actually be able to monetize every role in your business and they should give you a three to five times return on investment. So if you structure things the right way and you're looking at people as a multiplier instead of a doer, you tend to get a better result overall. But even if that person is not a long-term hire for you, then you still have gotten a lot more for your business and thus you have more resources the next time you hire and the next time you hire. Now, and this is a, this is kind of a, a side question here. And just because actually this, this topic has come up, because we're going to be talking about it on the Business Builder Throwdown in, in tomorrow, actually, live. So it'll be two weeks ago when this comes out that it will have been live. But anyways, what do you feel about hiring services that do the tasks of employees versus hiring employees? You mean like hiring independent contractors or VAs? Well, there's a few things, right? So like I'll give you an industry example for us. So you can get something like Design Pickle or something like that who will do graphic design for you and has a whole team of graphic designers. And you just submit the work to them. They do the work. They send it back. You pay a monthly fee and you don't have to pay all the payroll taxes and HR and all that. kind. Of. Is, is there options for that kind of stuff in the lawyer world? I'm just curious about it. I don't know if it's a thing or not, but. 
Yeah, we do that. We do that with our marketing and we certainly we also do that with our legal services and sometimes with our administrative support, you know, but as with everything, there's pluses and minuses. Right. So when you are just starting out, there's a great benefit of hiring services that can just do a project for you or a piece of an activity for you because you get a a sense of trying and testing and seeing how you like that person, seeing how you like that company, that service model. And you can see if that fits. But at some point, not having the level of sustainable control of that piece fitting with the other pieces in your business tend to take away more administrative time than it's worth in what you are saving by virtue of outsourcing. So kind of the classic example is with marketing, right? So when you're first starting out, you think, okay, let me hire somebody to do my social media. And then I'm going to hire somebody to do my reputation marketing. And then I'm going to hire somebody to do my SEO and build my website. And you have all those different pieces. And typically... Companies tend to focus in one or three, you know, one or two of those lanes, right? You're not going to get a jack of all trades. And so you now have all of these different people and the time that it takes you to have to stop what you're doing to communicate with all of them, to make sure that your reputation marketing is consistent with the branding on your website, to make sure it's consistent with what you put in your pay-per-click advertisement, to make sure that it can fit, you know, comports with your email newsletter. That takes time, right? And it's not cohesive. So then the next layer up is kind of getting a, a CMO service, right? So you you get a, an outsourced marketing officer, chief marketing officer, who kind of coalesces it. But even then, the chief marketing officer needs to have access to the people in the company because you need to be marketing what the people are doing in a law firm, marketing your wins, marketing your successes, your client victories. And you need to have that person have an overall involvement with the strategy of your sales, right? So what's coming into marketing and how is that educating what people are saying on the front lines of your intake system and ultimately your client consultations? And if there's not enough cohesion, then what you tend to find is that each thing works as well as it can work, but it's not optimizing the entirety of your process. So you usually start to see once you get around two to $3 million that you're going to start bringing things in house. So you have a division in your office of marketing and a division in your office of sales. And those people are in constant communication with each other so that you get a better result. But it's not impossible to start with vendors. In fact, I usually tell people when you're super small, when you're under $500,000, you know, get a little piece of something, start to see success there and then grow it and ultimately see if that solution remains your long-term solution or if that ultimately is going to be wrought in-house. Right. So... As a jack of all trades company in marketing, <laughs> I'm just kidding. But so we do work with with legal clients, and we work directly with them, right? So we in house go in and have conversations with them on a regular basis to do things. But I think that you absolutely should be outsourcing some of your marketing tasks, especially at the beginning, if not finding someone who can grow with your company. And that could be, you know, a fractional CMO or a fractional marketing agency. However, I think that a mistake that most companies make, not just legal, but but almost all companies make, is hiring out someone to do your social media as the first thing that you outsource. And I think the probably the last thing that you want to outsource is your social media because you want that to be a representation of yourself and your company and your brand. And it's difficult to find someone inexpensive enough to do that who understands those things. However, if you're hiring an agency who's going to handle your website and your SEO and your marketing and your advertising and all of those things, they usually can also do your social media, right? And they can get that cohesion in the brand. But I think the best thing 
to outsource first would be advertising because you're going to get an immediate return on your investment for the advertising if it's done right. And social media is kind of more of a branding activity and advertising is a direct sales activity. So the money you could spend to bring money in right away. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. I've never, I've never seen a law firm, and I'm not going to say it doesn't happen, but I've never seen a law firm under $10 million in revenue at a minimum that has an in-house ads manager type role, right? Typically, advertising is almost always outsourced. Everything from print advertising to, to Facebook ads to Google ads, you know, there's just, there's, there's so many different areas and, and marketing is so specialized in those different areas that if you don't outsource it, you're going to get a dabbler. You're going to get somebody who's going to try to fit it with the strategy that that's kind of their bread and butter. And it's really not going to get you the same level of result that you could otherwise have. There's also, there's different types of advertising and If you're a law firm, I think what you want to advertise when you're a smaller law firm is inbound marketing. That's your Google My Business, local ads, Google Local, Bing Local, pay-per-click, that kind of stuff. And what you don't want to start with is branding ads, which are outbound ads, which is stuff like Facebook, Instagram, you know, billboards, stuff like that. The difference being inbound marketing is someone is looking for you and your service and outbound is you are telling them about what you do. And so inbound is where you want to start because you want someone who somebody got arrested or whatever the problem is. There's a, you know, somebody's thinking about filing for divorce or child custody or, you know, probate or all those things that can happen in the legal world. They don't know what to do. They start searching. Advertising is a quick win to try and get those people in the door, you know, whereas SEO and content is kind of a long play, right? Yeah, definitely. You're not going to do SEO and see a result next week, you know, unless it's local SEO, like Google My Business. But if you're in a competitive market, it could take years. Yeah. So and the other thing is, is that I think a lot of lawyers are are far too passive in the way they approach SEO. Right. So search engine optimization is optimization of your information on a search engine, which means you have to have information for the search engine to find. And so there's this idea that I hire a company and they write some lawyer text or they take a lawyer communication and they pretty it up to make it sound more appropriate. You know, they go to some of the websites that you can test to see if your language is eighth grade appropriate as opposed to third grade appropriate as opposed to what a lawyer would write that's going to be higher than that and you know you pretty it up and poof you have you have website but the problem is that there's a lot of things that you should be doing in terms of optimizing the content on your website and being able to create a prolific online blueprint so that people are ultimately driven to the home site that is the website but they're finding you in other places so that everything kind of leads to you and you're more popular online and yeah that does take time it takes it takes energy and effort but the advertising is typically landing page goes up person needs a prompt you know a problem solved they click they get to your landing page they schedule a call or they they call your office or however they get to you right i think there is a big difference between you know leasing some lawyer content right that They're selling the lawyers all over the country or hiring someone who writes blogs for lawyers or something, right? Because they're just going to reuse the same content they're using for other people versus thinking about what is it that someone is going to search for or someone's going to click on that they actually want to read. And what they actually want to read is the thing that's going to stand out that's going to get ranked because nobody else is thinking that way. They're thinking, 
what do I want to tell people instead of what do people want to hear from me, which are usually two entirely different things. Right. And that's where the partnership comes in. Right. That's where the marketer is not simply a doer for you. They are a thinker for you. Right. So like just like we talked about hiring a thinker in your law firm, you similarly want to hire a thinker for your marketing team, somebody who can advise you on here are the types of questions we need to be asking in your marketing. And here's how we need to get information from the marketplace to know what's testing well, what what people are looking for, where where most of the activity is happening around the topic of whatever service that you offer. So that you are not now having to be a America's next top marketer at the same time you're being America's next top lawyer, right? You, you stay in your lane, somebody stays in their lane, but they have to work together to get the best result for you. Right. And that can be really difficult. So I wanted to quickly touch on the third thing that you talked about too, which was processes and making sure that when you do something, that information gets passed on. Is there, do you usually suggest that people are using software, like maybe like process street or something like that, or are they just documenting it in like some Google docs or something? Or how do you think people should go about documenting their processes and their practice? Yeah, so I'm probably in the distinct minority on this one, but my my answer is whatever works best for you, right? So what I tell people is, you know, when you're creating systems in a law firm, it is not likely that everyone in the law firm needs every single system in the law firm, right? Your intake systems are not likely to be necessary reading for your paralegals. Your paralegals don't likely need to have systems that are going to be shared by your file clerk, right? So everything works together in tandem, but each department has very specific information. So one of the things that we do here in my law firm is we have a PowerPoint presentation that we give to new hires that is self-guided and has a whole bunch of links in it. So, you know, here, watch this, you know, read this content and click on this link to go watch a Loom video on how to how to use the copier. And, you know, click on this link to, you know, get a map of what the office looks like or where you get your snacks or where you go to the bathroom, because that information is pretty universal, right? But then our finance department, most of our systems in finance are on Excel spreadsheets because typically they're either importing information from QuickBooks or, or other financial management tools or, you know, they're, they're ultimately creating schedules and data and they need to have quick formulas that we can create around using that data so that it's, it's immediately viable, right? But everything doesn't need to be in an Excel spreadsheet. Everything doesn't need to be in a PowerPoint presentation. So for our, for our firm, we have broken it up by different processes. I have clients that they use software. One, one that's kind of become the fan favorite recently is Sweet Process. And, you know, they like to, like to have it there so they can have searchable indexes that are created around creating the content. What I tell people is that it's much less important how you access the information and much more important that whatever system you use to house your information, that the people who are going to access it are going to use it. So that means you don't want to have super techie solutions and then go hire somebody who hasn't picked up, you know, a, a, a word processor in the past 30 years. You know, if that person is in your office, you need to make sure that you have an accessible tool for them so that they can ultimately get access to the information that they need as well. Right. It's absolutely vital that you get the information in a format that people can easily access, easily read and easily refer back to, because this is the nightmare. And I've worked on intranet systems since the 90s and intranet, meaning internal company, internet like websites and things like that, SharePoint, and those kinds of systems. Man, here's what goes wrong. 
you build out all the information, you get it all done. Somebody starts doing something that's not on process and you go ask them about it and they say, I didn't know where to get the information. Invariably happens in every company of any size, right? So I think the PowerPoint idea is great. You know, you can embed videos in there, embed links and stuff, right? You can stick it right on their desktop or their computer. So it's always there. And I think one final piece, and and I know that you hadn't mentioned it, but I think it's vital right now, is the kind of IT security piece for law firms right now. Businesses are getting targeted with cybersecurity, scams, phishing attempts to get financial data. Encryption protection is, is vital right now. So talk to your IT person. Get all that stuff locked in because IT security is a nightmare right now. And so I, I don't want to I don't want to bring everybody down, but you you would have a much worse day if you got to work and all your systems were encrypted. So definitely true. <laughs> that's right. Get your IT person on it, people. So, Allison, I think these are fantastic ideas to help people get started. If they want to talk to you about coaching for their law firm, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? Yeah, so the best way to reach us is always on our website, which is lawfirmmentor.net. And I always tell people, if you want to have an experience of what it is to actually get receive information from us and understand that information at a granular level, be able to use it right away, you can actually go through our masterclass, which is a free crushing chaos experience where we walk you through how to create a law firm system and you leave the class with your first law firm system created so you can actually start to see the power of creating systems to create that recurring revenue that's so valuable in a law firm. And that's actually at lawfirmmentor.net forward slash masterclass. Perfect. We'll have those links in the show notes underneath your podcast player or wherever it is that you're listening to us on right now. And uh, you can always get the show notes also at hookseo.com slash podcast. Allison, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you for having me, Matt. This was a great conversation. Thanks. Yeah, I think it's good. I think it's going to help a lot of people and, uh, you know, not just law firms, any business. Go back, rewind a couple of times and go back through those top three, because those are vital for every business. Thanks again, Allison. Thanks, Matt. This has been Digital Marketing Masters with Matt and Carrie Rouse. For notes and a transcript of this episode, go to hookseo.com forward slash podcast. Join us next week as we dive into more tips and ideas to grow your business. Digital Marketing Masters is brought to you by Hook SEO Digital Marketing. Our show is produced by Matthew Rouse and Scott Burson. Mixed and edited by Silent Outburst Productions. I'm your announcer, Daniel D. Craig. We would love to hear your thoughts. Please leave us an honest review with your podcast provider. Your reviews help us help more business leaders just like you.